Comic Book Club News gives you the comic book news you need to know first thing in the morning every weekday in the form of digestible three to five minute long podcasts. Comic Book Club News recaps breaking news stories from Marvel, DC Comics, and beyond Monday through Friday. New episodes drop 6 a.m. ET in the Comic Book Club News feed so they're ready for you when you're ready for the day. Comic Book Club News. You hear it second or third, possibly fourth. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C., This is a podcast from Minute Media. What is up, everybody? Welcome to Comic Book Club. I'm Alex. I'm Pete. And we are coming to you live from a couple of different places on the internet. We are live over on YouTube, a.k.a. The Tube. We're also live on Crowdcast, a.k.a. The Cast. Or maybe you'll listen to the podcast later, wherever you listen to podcasts. Wherever you're listening or watching, that's the coolest thing I've ever heard. And in case you're wondering, Justin is in Florida. He is hiding out from his family at a casino. And we think maybe he has a gambling problem. So there's that going on. About... 50% 50% of those things are true. If you're turning in for the first time, he's got a gambling uh, problem. So you tell me what's wrong. Our third co-host, Justin is off this week. He is in Florida. He is in a casino, whether he's gambling or has question. a problem. Open question. Definitely yeah. an open question. Uh, but folks, we have a great show for you tonight and we have two great guests on the show that we're going to bring in later. But first, a couple of orders of business, other than the business we just talked about, of course. First one I wanted to talk about is uh, we have been asking you folks, if there's a book you want us to review or a question you want to ask in the show, leave us a comment on iTunes. Uh, hopefully a nice comment. We like those a little better, but we're not going to put any pressure on you, whatever you want to do, right? That said, we did get another comment request here. Uh, we've been getting some great requests for uh, books to review that then we review on our Stack Podcast. This is from Ramsey. The headline is Fun and Smart Comic Takes. I've been listening to this podcast for years. They are three savvy comic fans with a wide range of tastes and opinions, sharing their thoughts on comics and chatting to amazing creators, all buoyed by their comedy improv background, which lends the podcast a fast-paced, witty energy that makes it a fun listen. Definitely worth your time. I'd love Love the comic book guys, guys to review Fab Pandora by Ramsey and Stefano Simone. <laughs> and listen, here's the thing. He requested his own book, but I don't think that's outside the rules. So yeah. I do think, not on this week's Stack Podcast, but we'll aim on next week's Stack Podcast. Didn't we talk about it when it came out, though? Um, I think we interviewed him about it, but we didn't yeah, review okay. the book. 
right. So we had to like pretend we liked it and stuff like no, that. So now we can like on. really take the lid off. I don't pretend. Jerks. We don't get paid any money, so there's no point <laughs> pretending. That is. Very I have true. to live with what we said. <laughs> Yes. So we will review that on a future Stack Podcast fan Pandora. Again, if you want us to review a book, preferably a trade or something from the past or something like that, maybe that we missed it in some way. Uh, or a favorite mo- single issue, you know, whatever. Whatever it is, hit us up. Yeah. iTunes comments, leave us a comment there, and we will read it on the show and then review it on the show. Now, let's move over and talk about today's drink. This is very exciting. Our resident comic book club chef. Brett Macris has been curating drinks Straight for us. Bullies. Straight bullies. And uh, we are back to the Gotham City cocktail book this week with a seasonal holiday drink, the Sleigh Ride, based on Harley Quinn. Um, I'll tell you what, two things about it. One, it's delicious. I had a little bit of it last night when I was making it. Uh, but you put it in the freezer overnight. I made the mistake of not taking it out quickly enough. So it's basically like a snow cone in a glass right now. Wow. It's, more, it's getting a little liquid at the bottom, but... You're not actually drinking. I don't know what you... That's so mm. fake. Yeah, you're not... So good. You're a horrible actor. <laughs> <laughs> horrible. Thank you. Yeah. And I should mention Pete's my agent. So, he, <laughs> so he's being honest about this. Yeah. You take a cut. <laughs> it, this actually is a really good drink. If anybody wants to make it, uh, Straybullet shared... Uh, individual servings in our Patreon Slack, patreon.com slash comic book club. But the basic of it is it's dark rum, brandy, vanilla, sugar, and whole milk with a little bit of cinnamon and nutmeg on top. So it's like an eggnog, but not quite as thick. And then you put it in the freezer for a little bit. So it becomes like slushy, real good stuff. Oh, a little brandy too. Yeah. Really good. Highly recommended. You love it, Pete. You like it a lot. Yeah, it sounds delicious. So there you go. And it tastes like you're drinking with Harley Quinn. That's the cool thing. Now, later in the show, we are going to have Marie Nicola is going to be here from Alt Pop or Pete. But we are going to bring in our first guest. He is the creator of the new book, Odd Yarns, which is on Kickstarter for just a couple of hours to go at this point. John Lazar. John, how, hello, hey, how are you? Back. I'm doing great. Hey, thanks so much for uh, having me back. I'm glad everybody has uh, survived another few months of uh, (laughs) the pandemic. I hope that keeps going for everybody. Yeah, I really hope that keeps going, too. Thanks so much. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It's the little things. like Yes, it kind of is the little things. I'm making it a little bit of fun. But at the same time, you know what? Thank you. I appreciate it. Now, (laughs) Odd Yarns is your latest Kickstarter. I'm looking at it right now. You got 37 hours to go as we're taping this. You've already blasted past your goal. You had a $1,500 goal. You're at 3021 But this is a very fun project with two stories in it. Uh, talk us through the general idea of Odd Yarns. Uh, so Odd Yarns is uh, sort of a, uh, loving, a loving tribute and a little bit of... Uh... A little bit of a satire of the old Marvel Silver Age Double Features books, most particularly Strange Tales. Mm-hmm. Um, the basic premise we've got on this book is uh, what if Nick Fury and Stephen Strange switched jobs? Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, so we've got, as you can see, this great, uh, I love Lane Lloyd stuff so much, this great crazed extreme version of... Uh, you know, that old Sergeant Rock, Nick Fury, uh, World War II type, uh, just just kicking it through a Steve Ditko alternate dimension while uh, we have the a elite surgeon 
Winston Weird, very, very subtle take there. Yeah, yeah. can't tell. Yeah. Um, uh, getting into uh, his own set of trouble, which uh, which we will leave for readers of the book to discover. Nice. Uh, now, I know this isn't necessarily you, but one thing that I really love about this book that I thought was very fun, the art style is very reminiscent of Mike Oming in particular. Uh, was that mm. something that you were looking for when you were putting it together or did it just kind of happen? The whole the whole reason this project happened is um, because we found Lane Lloyd was available. And <laughs> uh, no, I'm not. I mean, like you guys. No, you guys, I believe you. Yeah. 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 Like you guys uh, reviewed my last book, Marguerite versus the occupation, which was a world war two, very uh, realistic story. And we initially found Lane when we were looking for an artist for that, uh, which would have been some kind of jagged casting, but we liked their stuff so much that when they became available uh, a few months later, we just decided we had to jump on the opportunity and make a comic book with them while we had the chance. And I'm super, super grateful we did. Yeah, I, I got to say, we we see a lot of uh, like Kickstarter stuff. Uh, a lot of people kind of putting out creator own, but man, the the panel layouts, the humor, it all really uh, jumps off the page. This is such a fun read, and this is what I want from like kind of a Kickstarter. I want something that feels like Indian cool, where they're pushing things as far as like uh, you know different kind of uh, panels and different kind of like stuff on the page, and then also funny, funny stuff. I think this is a really great package you have. Thanks so much. And like fun is exactly what we're going for. Um, that was, that's, it, it's again, just the, if you're working with Lane, you're going to get fun. So it was just a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun to lean into their uh, art style. Well, when you're doing that, I mean, talking about that in particular, obviously, like you mentioned, it's sort of a Kirby pastiche going on here a little bit. Is that something that you're able to have come across in your writing style at all? Or is it more just leading on your artist in this case? You know, um, definitely had some fun doing uh, doing little homages to the Silver Age writing style. Uh, as you can see right here, Russian, such power mustn't fall into communist hands. Um <laughs> The, the 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 pomp of it i i mean i've always been a marvel zombie and i uh uh i found my way to silver age stuff pretty quickly when i became a fan and it's just so um the uh the enthusiasm of it it's so contagious and fun and uh at the same time i learned um in trying to do a little homage to it that there's uh there's a lot of really effective storytelling in there too so uh so it was a lot of fun, and also it was also a good learning experience. Cool. Speaking of learning experiences, now that you have done a couple of Kickstarters at this point, what what have you learned? What have you kind of taken away from those experiences that potentially you will to apply to future ones? To future Kickstarters? Well, uh, none, I mean, none, never the, do it again. Is that the, the main lesson? The uh, no, no. I mean, it's um, it's been good because. Uh, I mean, I'm a little, I'm a little worn out. This is my third Kickstarter in a little over a year. Oh, um, wow. um, so it's definitely like all of the things that are not making comics, I'm kind of burned down on right now. But at the same time, uh, learning how to pitch a story, how to sell it, how to write copy to grab people's attention it's all stuff that i'm going to need to learn to do to get where i'm getting so and the thing about 
the thing about the Kickstarter is it's nice to, you know, there's an audience out there waiting to be found and uh, you've got to grab their attention. And uh, we've been lucky so far in uh, being able to, to fund uh, all four of our projects. Um, yeah. Thank you. I'm very, I'm very grateful, but um, like it is exhausting, but at the same time, like all of those things that are not, writing comics might not be as much fun but they're important and they got to be done yeah i mean it also teaches you a really important lesson in terms of how to efficiently seal envelopes and label them and that's also an important life skill as well bro the uh the, the, i've been wait i've been waiting because you know my stuff's been sitting on a boat out in california in the line oh, uh, you know the, the backup uh, it it just it just got sent out to me yesterday after for marguerite for the last one wow. so yeah i've got like there's there's shipping supplies all over this room in this <laughs> apartment right now and yeah man uh i can't wait <laughs> <laughs> well i mean given that then since you have done these three kickstarters and granted they have been successful so that points to Potentially, you could do a fourth one, and that could be successful. Is there another avenue? Is there something else you would want to hit, um, or a different way of distributing these things for a potential fourth project? I mean, I would love it if somebody else was doing this work for me. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but but you know, that's also like as somebody starting out. Um, you know, that's the other great thing about Kickstarter is, uh, you know, as a writer, like everything you hear is to break in, you got to make comics. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's, you know, in terms of, in terms of knocking on doors and, and just, just singing for your supper, which is what you're doing when you're starting out saying like, you know, we've had four successful Kickstarters. It's, it's a conversation starter. Like it, it helps a little bit. So, um, I'm definitely open to other avenues for publishing. And if anybody out there was willing to offer me some, I am not difficult to get a hold of. <laughs> uh, this is interesting. We actually have an opportunity for Marvel Comics, but you're still going to have to put them in envelopes yourself. <sighs> every, so... every single one. That's yeah. The... Sorry about that. And. <sighs> can't wait before we let you go just to jump back to the kickstarter with 37 hours to go or whenever people are listening to this probably a little less than that what potentially hey nice uh what will people get if they're pledging this project uh well we've got um we've got our previous books um again the previous one which we covered with you guys uh marguerite versus the occupation is a really lovely little uh world war ii action fable uh great art by uh, casey cavado um i really recommend that book um i get i've been very i've been very lucky with my collaborators they're doing the heavy lifting um and it's a good book. Uh, we've also got a great, uh, I think you put up the art a little earlier. We've got a great alternate cover version. Mm -hmm. um, since this is a double feature title, we're publishing it as a flip book like Marvel Comics Presents, nice. which, uh, which means you get twice as many alternate covers. Uh, we've got one by Jason Murr, or Muir, I don't actually know, um, who is on By the Horns. Uh, from Scout Comics, which is a beautiful book. Yeah. And then uh, the other cover is by Alex Cormack, who did uh, Road of Bones and Sea of Sorrows at IDW. Uh, if you haven't that read these books, you oh, yeah, they're really good. absolutely have to. Beautiful, beautiful horror artist. Um, I think he's got, a, he's got a book coming out this week, uh, Crimson Cage. It's a wrestling book. Um, I, I, 
I'm going to hoard any of the uh, alternate covers that we don't sell because they're so pretty, but uh, that's, that's, uh, that, that, that's all available on the Kickstarter and uh, you should check it out. Awesome. Cool. John, congratulations again. So great having you back here. Yeah. Good thanks luck. for coming back. Uh, fingers crossed. Next time we have you back, it's not for a Kickstarter. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll multitask if you don't mind. If I'm packing the packages while we talk, oh, that'd yeah, be definitely not a That'd be a lot easier for me. Yes. <laughs> yeah. All right. Have a All great right. Thanks job. so much, guys. Yeah. Take care take of care. yourself. Yeah. All right. Once again, the project is called Odd Yarns. It's on Kickstarter right now, at least for the next day and a half or so. So definitely check it out mm-hmm. because it's super fun. Like you said, it Pete. Is. The art's great. The style's great. It's a really yeah, fun pastiche. It's, there's humor. It's a, you get it once you pick it up. It's super clear about what it's doing, what it's saying. So it's it's easy to hop on board and enjoy. Awesome. Let's bring in our second guest now. She is one of the hosts of Alt Pop Repeat, a pop culture podcast that is very cool. Way cooler than our podcast, in fact. <laughs> uh, I mean, I'm not joking. True, yeah, yeah I know. That's why I'm true. laughing. Yeah. Uh, but her name is uh, Marie Nicola. She does the podcast with Chrissy Newton. They are broadcast on the radio, I believe, in Canada. Um, she will probably correct me on that once she gets in. But they recently did a show with Kevin Eastman of TMNT fame talking mm-hmm. about the cross-pollination uh, between counterculture and also comics culture. Uh, that'll be very interesting to talk about. Um, once she makes her way, we're in here, but, oh, there we go. Hello. Hey, <laughs> hey, hey how, how's it going? Sorry. We interrupted your noodles. Yeah. I apologize. This was like the, I'm starving. I'm so hungry. You don't even understand. <laughs> Sometimes well, the days get away from you, you know, oh, yeah. you have sure. a day job well, and listen, then you have a content creation job. You have your noodles. I'm going to drink this definitely drinkable uh, cocktail that I made. Oh, that looks mm, fantastic. so good. It's still so It actually is, again, really good, but I can't drink it's it frozen. yet. It's still frozen solid. Marie, thank you so much for coming on the show. <laughs> Very excited to have you here. It's my pleasure. Um, like we said in the intro, what I love about your show is not only does it do a deep dive into history, but it also presents really interesting different looks at pop culture and counterculture. We're... Where did the idea first start? Was it you and Chrissy getting together and talking about it? Did it come from another source? How did it begin? It was basically us. We we both have a love for things that are paranormal. Chrissy is a huge, huge pundit within the UFO circles. Um, oh. And I am a pop culture historian. And so we just met up after we hadn't seen each other for a number of years. And we reconnected. And as we sat enjoying our drinks and having chats, um, Chrissy was like, look, I want to produce a podcast. Are you interested? And I had just come off a project called Nana Marie. And it was a live streaming talk show. It was the first of its kind. And what we did was we talked about internet culture and digital trends in particular. Um, mm-hmm. But it was a little ahead of its time. At the time, any live stream that was happening was talking heads. And it wasn't necessarily a, a produced show. We ended up building an entire studio for this project and we had uh eight cameras running at 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 one time a director switching we had it was a production um but then you know that dried up and i needed something new to work on and chrissy was like hey i really would love to do a podcast are you interested and of course i said yes and the rest is history so we we worked on it originally the concept was going to be more about paranormal and ufo but as we started to go through this and I was allowed to kind of let my, as I said, pop culture historian flag fly. Um, The show evolved to be more documenting how counterculture 
has turned into pop culture, which mm -hmm. is, I think, dope because who nobody talks about it. They're just like, oh, pop culture is here. Let's take a look at Miley Cyrus. She's twerking on the MTV Awards. Hey, let's take a look at the Marvel Cinematic Universe. This is really crazy. Like, but people don't really understand that there's a historical context to a lot of these this work and a lot of these projects. It's not like it's created in a vacuum. It's not like pop culture just happens. You know? Well, like you're touching on a lot of this stuff, you know, and I'm sure you touch on this a little bit on your show, but there's always a point where it's like, oh, this is this cool underground thing that only me and five of my friends know about. And then suddenly yep. it pops through into pop culture and becomes this mainstream thing. And that's always this weird, frustrating point for people. Like we've definitely felt that, I think, with comics that we've reviewed on the show where we push very heavily and then suddenly everybody's talking about it. Like, but we were talking about it. And that's, yeah. and that's exactly kind of what Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles was. It was like this middle finger to like making fun of that like the foot clan is like making fun of the hand and like that and then it became this thing and it was this animated kind of joke of what it was and it like someone who was a hardcore fan of the black and white comics i was kind of like my thing got famous and now it sucks it's like <laughs> oh what do i do but i still it watched sucked. every episode no i mean it doesn't suck but it's different it's like you know all of a sudden michelangelo i thought it, I thought it sucked well, yeah, but I mean, it was, you know, this animated kind of like brightened up thing that was yeah. not the hardcore ninja stuff that it was in the beginning. Oh, 100%. Because I mean, whenever it was going on television in the 80s, there were certain restrictions that a lot of productions had to abide by. And it's the same restrictions that kind of made He-Man and Masters of the Universe this diluted kind of. And it's funny because as a child, like as an adult thinking back, I'm like, oh, my gosh. He-Man, He-Man for sure fought, but no, rewatching it now as an adult, there was no fighting in it. And I mean, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles were a little luckier because they were a little later in the 80s, um, but they still had to adhere by really strict regulations that said that you could only, um, if you're broadcasting or you're broadcasting to children, you could only do certain things. You couldn't have the whole gamut. So yeah, for sure. It wasn't going to be as grimy, gritty, and, and real as the comic books were, Um but it's a cool, cool story. Like when you're looking at the history of comic books and you see how, um, you know, we went through this very restrictive time in the fifties when the comic book, uh, comic code authority had Court, popped yeah, in yeah, and they used it as a propaganda. Um, even though during the world war two comic books were instrumental propaganda for helping to indoctrinate children into believing in the power of, you know, we can do this as a country. We are going to get through, we're going to get through the war. So it was important to have heroes and have a very clear cut enemy. And, um, you know, to go from that, to go to the fifties and now saying that now we have to use these, you know, it's a powerful medium, but now we have to use this tool to indoctrinate children into the moral code of society. So now we have our Archie comics and now we have all of these diluted superheroes and, and it really lasts, lacked that grit, but then there was no independent comic book production being produced on a mainstream level. They got rid of the horror comics. They got rid of anything that was cool. Um, and then going into the sixties, it's finally a period when independent comic book artists are banding together and they're fighting back. And my personal favorite story of that time is how Mickey Mouse was the one that everybody went after. It's it really I had no idea until I started doing some studying more about comic books. Um, I just loved how almost every independent comic book artist at the time kind of banded together and named the mouse as this unified enemy but 
the what the what Mickey Mouse represented was it was representing you know children blindly following the government it was so like you're gonna have the kids are just gonna be mindless people floating through life and they're not gonna have a mind of their own so well it's it's, nice uh, i mean not to interrupt but it's nice you cut to today where now everybody was like oh we like disney we trust disney Disney. plus super cool yeah yeah right yeah disney plus and disney is investing in comics right and Mm -hmm. producing the mcu and i think they're doing a pretty good job of it they're doing a pretty good job but yeah i mean it's still the same thing where everybody i think looks at mickey mouse looks at disney as the opposite of counterculture their culture Uh, i am curious not to cut ahead though but um why why kevin eastman why teenage mutant ninja turtles why what that (laughs) what no no no, hold on i'm not saying it's wrong i'm just saying why for you do you think that was that flashpoint that was important to talk about on the podcast is something that became that crux between counterculture and pop culture. Okay. So um, <laughs> both Chrissy and I have, we love Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles when we were little, yeah. we were obsessed with it in very different ways. Um, this is, I'm a, I'm a weird, very like here I am very honest kind of person. So, which is, Ooh, I think awesome. what makes me entertaining, but also <laughs> I realize that some of the things that come out of my mouth are like, people will be like, Oh, was weird so (laughs) this is how it relates to comic books this is how sorry to kevin eastman and teenage mutant ninja turtles so i was a young child when it came out and i was so obsessed not only did i want to be april o'neill i was in love with michelangelo like obsessively in love i was like i'm gonna eat pizza i'm gonna be his perfect girl we are gonna be we're gonna go to prom together it's gonna be amazing and i didn't really find the comedy of that until i was older and i was like my first like sexual awakening as a child was michelangelo from teenage mutant ninja turtles um so I, I don't want to. Was... I don't want to get into it too much. But Pete was Raphael, and I was Donatello. But go ahead. <laughs> now, as an adult, like now, I mean, as an adult woman, I have to say Raphael could get it. Yeah, I'd hit that <laughs> okay. if we had to choose a new turtle. Of course. Um, so we both had like these obsessive passions for the series itself, and it was really, really wonderful to be able to sit and talk to the man who created it when the co-creators behind it and it was a really special experience for both of us because we we're able to kind of glow like what is that word we uh, indulge in our fandom in a way mm-hmm. that we don't often get that opportunity like there's certain things in life that you love right now if i got a chance to meet the woman that voiced gem from gem and the holograms oh, i might also yeah. lose my shit yeah. yeah um great series completely under like People sleep on that series. No one talks about it enough, but it's a great mm-hmm. series. Now, if I truly met outrageous. her, truly, truly outrageous. Oh my gosh, yeah. don't even get me started on Jam. But um, <laughs> obsessed. It was a great. It was a great show. It was a great show. There was a yeah. car chase in every episode. There was a very bizarre love triangle between Jem, Jerica, and Rio. And if anybody is who's you know watching this right now and there's don't know who any of these characters were, Jerica was the daughter of a wealthy philanthropist and the CEO of a highly successful record company who had an untimely demise. No one knows why. So he gifted her his label and also the Starlight Foundation, which was also um, their orphanage because he was a philanthropist. 
and also gifted her a mysterious box that contained two earrings. And once she put them on, oh, yeah. an apparition appeared before her and instructed her and her friends to follow her to an abandoned um, movie theater, drive-in movie theater, where she proceeded to drive through a wall, much to the terrifying like delight of the girls <laughs> in the car. They're like, what are we doing? We're going to die. But yet they still drove through the wall. Shock. It was a hologram. Um, the machine, the the apparition is named Synergy, was her father's yeah. last great invention. And the the myth of Gem the Holograms um, is born mostly because she had to become a pop star so that she could have the money to pay for the orphanage and keep the kids safe. And also, she had to wrench the... the I love, see, this is what happens. You mentioned Gem and the Holograms, but this is the other important thing. Yeah, it's she great. also I had to make money. Forever. I love nerdy to... rants. <laughs> And this one, again, don't sleep on the series. Um, but anyway, she also had to make money to get her record label back from her dad's former assistant who had done a hostile takeover and took over the label and started to do his own band called The Misfits. Oh, who yeah, are kind the of Misfits. like, Oh, yeah. And for some inexplicable reason, uh, their jealousy of Jem and the Holograms mostly just translates in them trying to kill Jem in every single episode. <laughs> yeah. So they're very dramatic. Yeah. Um, so Jem is Jerrica's alter ego. Rio is Jerrica's boyfriend who also falls in love with Jem. Um, nobody really thinks this is bizarre until in the second season, they really do tackle it with a beautiful song, uh, and musical music video because also in every episode of Jem is a very trippy music video. Yeah. So. Very tripped out. Now so, as a follow up, and this is getting slightly too far afield, but what did you think of the 2015 movie, the live action? Don't movie? even don't. Don't even get me on that one. <laughs> it was obtuse. It was it was wrong on so many levels. I, I feel like they never even saw the cartoon in the first place. I don't think they even oh, wow. looked at the reboot of the comic book. Was it Kim Thompson is who illustrated that? Whose mm -hmm. gem is now this punk rock superstar, also incredible. Um, there's so much great source material, and yet they decided that no, we don't need any of it. Let's just make a show where Jen, I don't know, it's, it's not even worth explaining. I'm, totally, I'm probably selling myself down the river here, and I cannot remember this at all. Like, I've at this point, I've written so many articles, these things pass me by, but I, I looked it up really quickly, and uh, at the time I was working for MTV, and my review of Gem and the Holograms, the headline is, Eight Reasons I, a Grown Man, Loved Gem and the Holograms. So, wow. I don't know, I guess at the time... I'm Were you a big wrong. fan of the of the I'm show? I'm probably though? wrong. Did I never watch watched the original show. Well, that's I, why you didn't watch that's the original why. I'm show. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's so many things about it that just make no sense. <laughs> that's... I don't stand by that review. I'm just saying. I felt the Have same you... way when I saw Transformers, uh, the first Transformers movie. I was like, who the fuck is this for? This is oh, what really? I watched as a oh, kid. Oh, I love like, that oh, too. I guess I just have no taste. Maybe yeah. maybe that's the problem. <laughs> How dare. Don't, don't, don't say that about yourself. There's something called manifestation. Mm -hmm. You have great taste. Never put yourself oh, down, thank man. You. Oh, thank well, you. I, I got I you. Do I don't agree, but I agree with <laughs> the sentiment behind what you're saying. Uh, back to TMNT, though, and the Kevin yes. Eastman interview. So talk a little bit about, from this interview, what you got or what uh, you laid down in terms of this being that flashpoint, this being this important uh, crux. <laughs> it was, well, for us, obviously, it was really important because we were excited to talk to somebody who had such a, a pivotal 
piece in our childhoods and our lives. And the other thing that was really incredible about it was talking to him about the influence of being an independent comic book artist and then coming up still when things were still a little bit restricted and there were still a lot of mainstream comics that were kind of dominating um, the airwaves, but how they just kind of came through and the process of rethinking uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles in a way that was more palatable to children. So it it is interesting to talk to somebody who's creator and they also he still has such a love affair for the characters and such an intimate relationship with them that to us they are characters in a show. To him, it was very much as if he's talking about a child or um, like it's something he brought into the world, which was really touching and really beautiful to hear because it's, I mean, just to be able to hold audience with somebody who created such a pivotal cultural product was incredibly special. So we walked away really understanding, like feeling that, you know, and I, I haven't talked to a lot of comic book. I do have, I have my own love for the genre. Um, but a lot of comic book creators, I don't necessarily have conversations with every single day, but I really loved how he has a sense of the history, how he fits into that history and where he sees it going in the future. And I think he is, what I took from it is that I think he's very much excited about being able to create an environment where there isn't the same sort of restrictions anymore. There aren't the same sort of rules anymore that you can create for different age groups that there isn't the same stigmas that are attached to creating comic books as there was once was. So it's not like he has to stay stay in that realm of, okay, now we had the comics, um, we had the television show and that television show really spoke to um, kids like eight to 15, whatever the age range is. And now he's able to re-envision this and work with other people, showrunners who are able to re-envision his entire legacy and products to fit with new generations. While I did not watch the new movies because I'm a bit of a dork for the old, everything old TV show new shirts. I tried to watch the new cartoon series and it really upset me on a few levels. Oh, I was left with a few questions. The one, the one where everybody's like, I don't know, the, the turtles look weird. And then April's like a kid. And I was, I didn't even stick around for 15 minutes of the mm. show to even bother. I was like, okay, this is not for me. This right. is for, this is for, this is like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle light. Yeah. So, I mean, there's been a couple different uh, iterations and like, I, I agree with you. Some of them are like big blocky characters, but like a couple of them that are on Nickelodeon, uh, have been really well done so really uh, yeah yeah uh, there's definitely kind of like there's a big range but uh you can find a sweet spot for yourself for sure i mean if you make a recommendation i will watch it okay yeah I, I i don't have it all memorized but yeah like there's uh <laughs> there's definitely some I, as someone who was a huge fan um and then like a little disappointed in some of the series but i love the old stuff uh, yeah, the Nickelodeon uh, stuff where they're kind of like smaller, more adorable, kind of like a uh, bug eyed a little bit. Uh, yeah, that's that's the one that's really well done. So um, interesting. I don't, yeah, I don't uh, have I, like you know. I will say I don't know while we're giving recommendations. I don't know if you checked out this one, but is it Pete? Is it the last Ronin? The thing? Yeah, yeah. The, right? the new oh, project. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I, For anybody I got, who's listening or watching, I'll just mention just to clarify, that's a book that's coming out right now, I think, from IDW, where is it yeah. Kevin Eastman is working yeah. on it? Yep. Yeah, yeah. So it's one they turtle. They back up for it, yeah. 
kind of. Uh, it's one turn all alone. He got the okay. He got the okay. He got the okay. I think they're working off of an old storyboard is what's yeah. going on. Yeah, so it was like a story they had in the 80s yeah. and they wanted to finish. Yeah. So uh, it but it's basically cool. like old man Raphael. Is it Raphael who survives? Or is it Michelangelo? Uh, Michelangelo. I think it's Michelangelo. So it's yeah, like yeah. old man Logan, except it's old man Michelangelo going through yeah. a post-apocalyptic so And cool. then also the new stuff with Jenica is great uh, for Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. There's real... Uh, I love how like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles doesn't go away. It gets a little quiet for a little bit and then it comes <laughs> back. It's uh, yeah. But yeah, like you're saying, such a huge icon. I know when uh, we like uh, trapped him at a Comic-Con... We? He was tr- okay. I mean, it was me. Okay. It was a me, <laughs> me cornering, cornering him in Artist Alley, and he wanted to talk a lot about his uh, new stuff, which I was very excited about. But also, yeah. all I wanted to do was talk to him about like uh, some of the things that, like as a kid, just really opened my mind and like. Now, Pete, uh, when you did yeah. that, was he like, oh, you're the first person that's asked me about this. <laughs> yeah, Thank yeah. you. He was just like, man, Thanks I so created a monster. Look what I've done. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, now, I, I do want to ask, and I don't know if you have a perspective on this necessarily, Marie, but just from talking about comic books, when you're talking about the time period, as you were mentioning, with Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles coming out, and around that, there was a lot of underground comics with an X or otherwise that were coming out, and there really was very much a counterculture for comics. Is that something that in any form could exist now in the same way and be culturally relevant in the same way? Well, I mean, that's the question. That is a creative solve, I would say, to a very interesting question. Um, You know, for a little while, I thought that the counterculture of comic books would sit within the Japanese genre of anime. And um, if you really want to get into the sub of, of hentai, because it's so it's different than what North American comic books are. And for a long time, it had a very niche subcultural group that was kind of gravitating towards it. But I mean, anybody who's watching Netflix now knows that Netflix is diving heavily into producing um, anime into live action series. Cowboy Bebop came out, which I personally love. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So we really have what here's the thing. When it comes to a counterculture, there has to be a solve that art like comic books was able to tackle. And if we're taking a look at where we came from, it was so much easier to have a counterculture back in the day with the independent like Fritz Cat and um, oh my gosh, Zippy the Pinhead. And I'm trying to think of like other like underground comics. Um, so much easier for those to come out because really it was a protest of freedom of speech, the ability to create and have the ability to be an artist in a public forum without censorship. So that is kind of where that counterculture and that independence sat. And once we were moving through, it was we as a society were starting to tackle how we wanted to teach morality to children with the understanding that somehow the only people consuming this type of medium comics and comic books are children so there was like a lot of control misunderstanding and a lot of um, resistance to artists so it made that kind of scene really easy to develop where we sit right now I'm, I'm trying to think like what are we not allowed to do um 
not everyone can smoke weed in some some places. Like, is there, is, you know, you have to kind of look at what it is that we are prohibited from doing as a society and that we as the society, um, as a community, I'll say, um, don't agree with that legality. And that's when the counterculture start to form. It's, it's, it's a response to, like, we'll say a governmental oppression to some degree, where there's mm-hmm. a group of people that say, like, no, 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 um, this is not right um, for the greater good of, of humanity. We as a society believe differently. And so they usually will form these countercultures and then they'll go through. And but right now, as I said, I'm like, what is it? I mean, like, I mean, obviously podcasts probably right. Podcasts are really counterculture. Nobody's podcasts doing them. are they're a subculture. <laughs> yes, they're subculture. <laughs> Unless, of course, you had like some sort of crazy underground one on, you know, the Tor network or something. And it was like this <laughs> underground only only murderers and going on and sharing their podcast. That would be a weird little. I mean, that's a that's a good concept. I feel like people would listen oh, to it. Boy. I'm just saying. Oh, I don't know. Hey. It's just a thought. If there is if there is anybody that knows a podcast that exists only on the tour let me know. I will go and check it out. The only thing about mm. going on the tour, I realized is once I did it um, a few years ago when I was doing my old show, uh, I actually got a letter from the government. So they, they oh, were like, really? oh, what are you doing? And I was just looking Ooh. at the Silk Road. But at the time, what I didn't know was um, there was that whole piece between um, the Silk Road and what was the other one? Atlantis. I had an aqua type name. Anyway, um, and the guy who owned Silk Road had ordered a hit through the Silk Road on the owner of the other marketplace. So it was like oh Amazon God. for illegal goods. Okay. Yeah. And I was surfing on there. Time was like, oh, what is this all about? Like, we should be doing a piece <laughs> on this. And mm-hmm. yeah. So oh, they were like. Doing research. You were doing I do. Research. Just to pitch you guys on something. Uh, what about a show where there's an FBI agent and he has a podcast where he invites murderers on in order to catch them? I would, right? I would no? put together a fiction podcast around that in a snap. Yeah, right, I'm, just, I'm just pitching it out to you. Uh, this has been really fascinating to talk about. Yeah. Um, other than Kevin Eastman, though, you have new episodes that are out. You have one about sex, I believe, that came yeah. out the previous week. What else can people look forward to if they're checking out Alt Pop Repeat? Oh, my gosh. We're going through all of the countercultures one at a time. If you love MMA fighting, we'll tell you how that came about. If you love... Um, my favorite particular shows is the punk episode featuring Biff Naked. We did uh, a cannabis show with Tommy Chong. Um, And if you particularly have a love for hip hop, definitely check out hip hop. Number one with um, DMC from run DMC. He's a huge comic book fan. (laughs) He's a huge comic book fan because even he talked about the influence of comic books on his hip hop career. Yeah, is he that, sold Pete. He, is that yeah. who you? Okay, the yep. best interview I've ever seen Pete do. With <laughs> <laughs> this is just real quick for anybody uh, who's listening to this, and I feel like we told this story before, but most of the time Pete was our floor reporter when we were doing Comic Cons, uh, and then we were having DMC come in to talk about his comic book, and Pete was like, "I want to, I want to be in the room," and we were like, "Okay, we'll see what happens." And then Pete was like, immediately DMC was like, "I love you, Pete. We're talking. We're talking about comic books. You know about rap." It was great. It was a really good yeah. interview, Pete. You did a good a job. Great man. Yeah. Yeah. Really like unbelievable. <laughs> so uh, wonderful. Yeah. 
I just yeah. really had an opportunity to connect with him like on on that level because I'm sure most of the time when people are talking to him, they're talking to him about hip hop. They're talking to him about the Beastie Boys. They're talking to him, you know, it's not they're not talking to him about his love for comic books and his comic book or any of that stuff. So that's dope, man. Most of it, though, unfortunately, was him talking about his love for Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, which was unrelated. Uh, and Kevin Stop Eastman it. was standing there in the corner. Like, yeah, he was just like, he, what, what's my upset. turn? Did he yeah. say that he had a love for Michelangelo? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he took him to prom. Can yeah. you believe oh, it? Oh, man. It's crazy. You know, it's strange child crushes. And I keep looking over in the chat. I was like, is anyone going to say what their weird child cartoon oh, crush was? And I'm no, not... By the way, someone anyone. was asking what you were drinking. Uh, I'm drinking a, it is a sparkling non-alcoholic cider that I have wow. um, graciously kissed with a very alcoholic rum. Oh, Ooh. nice. Ooh, very nice. I feel like it's festive, right? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Rums, Before we let you go, I feel like we should admit our strange cartoon crushes on the air. Pete, I do you have we one? Should. Uh, I don't Yeah. Uh, no. No, I mean, I, don't know. I mean, comic book wise, Kitty Pride is probably mine. I had a yours? crush on Kitty Pride. Yeah, absolutely. Pete, I'm like, I'm, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it would be, uh, I don't know. There was a lot of different moments that were kind of like, what's happening? Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, uh, where it was a little ridiculous, where I was like, I'm keep buying Psylocke comics. What's going on? Oh, I <laughs> oh, I'm going through changes. <laughs> yeah, I'm yeah, going through changes right now. Uh, it's great. not like you're playing Metroid super super fast to get to the end and see the part where she takes off her <laughs> <clothes>. <laughs> the sexiest moment oh in video God. games. She takes off the helmet. And you're like, what? I know. I this didn't even know that. Justifies my attraction the entire game. I was the entire time. I was like. At the very end of it, I was like, whoa, she's a girl. And I, my entire perspective of the entire game changed. And I felt so validated in that moment. Mm-hmm. But I didn't know if you played it faster, you'd see her take off more clothes. Uh, I don't know if I'd like that. Personally, I was like, oh, she wouldn't need to do yeah, that. But no, that it is good. funny now, like looking yeah. back. But like Metroid was the first, the first really feminist game. I think we could all agree to that. Yeah, I think so. And yeah, also Princess maybe. Peach, I feel like. She was, she got, she was done dirty. I mean, she was a great mm-hmm. character to play. Wait, yeah. Her, she, her floating was so needed in a lot of she different was the one, She was the one that I always played in Super Mario 2. And yeah. hopefully Anya Taylor-Joy will do her justice in the movie. Very excited yeah. about that. Yeah. I mean, it was tough when she was like yanking mushrooms. But other than that, the floating was huge. Was clutch. Anyway, yeah. on that note, I'm sure it's time for me to go. But I could sit here and yeah, thank I would you chat so much. with you guys all night long. It was such a pleasure. And well, thank, thank you. you. Yeah, yeah thank you so much for coming great. on. And uh, just plug your stuff before you go. Where can people check out All Pop Repeat? Well, you're welcome to listen to me on All Pop Repeat with my BFF to life is Chrissy Newton. Uh, it's at altpoprepeat.com. Uh, we're on all socials for the Alt Pop Repeat. Somehow no one else had that name. Surprise, surprise. You can follow me. My online name is Karma Cake, like good karma and delicious cake. Although I don't talk about anything to do with food, but I do talk about pop culture history. And sometimes I pose with like burgers, so you'll see. I'll just leave it at that. Great. <laughs> love it. Uh, Marie, thank you so much for coming on the show. I love uh, the podcast. Very excited to chat about it. And uh, have a great night. Go yeah, eat your food. You. Eat your food. Yeah, oh, your trust me. I've got, it's all lined up here. <laughs> <laughs> have a good night. Right. Bye. We'll do you too. Right. Bye. 
once again, that is Marina Cola from Alt Pop Repeat. You can check that out pretty much everywhere. Bruce Wayne may appear to be a wealthy playboy, but beneath this facade, his true identity is that of the Batman, waging an endless war against crime. Join the Cape Crusader and Batman The Audio Adventures, the first scripted audio original featuring Batman and his villainous rogues gallery in a world premiere story of life and death in Gotham City, debuting exclusively on HBO Max. Starring Jeffrey Wright as Batman and a who's who of incredible Saturday Night Live alums, this rollicking adventure told across 10 episodes is written and directed by Emmy winner Dennis McNicholas, includes devilishly delightful original music by Doug Bossy, and performances by Rosario Dawson, John Leguizamo, Chris Parnell, Melissa Villasenor, Seth Meyers, Jason Sudeikis, Brooke Shields, Fred Armisen, and many, many more. Go to hbomax.com slash Batman Audio Adventures for more and stream Batman the Audio Adventures only on HBO Max. And folks, we're going to move on with our next section, which is my favorite section because you all make it up. It's your audience question. And for audience questions, all you got to do is drop a question and ask a question over here on Crowdcast. I see a couple already. Or on YouTube, you can drop it in the comment section and I will keep an eye on that. But first... Pete, what is the red concoction you are drinking? Is, is it, it a red? code red and vodka? Ah, uh, it's close. It's um, it's vodka. It's Mountain Dew, and it's triple uh, X vitamin water. Oh my god, Pete! I'm having a tough dead? day. I just needed a little pick me up. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? A little. Yeah. Well, little you got to get your vitamins. So that's right. Yeah. Uh, this is finally melted enough. This sleigh ride that I could actually. Oh, there you go. There you go. Enjoy it. This is so good. This is such a good drink. I highly recommend this to everybody. Definitely. Was it worth the wait? Uh, It was. It's still basically solid, but I was able to get a little bit in my mouth, so I'm feeling pretty good. Uh, It's very creamy, and the cinnamon and the nutmeg on the top are very nice. Okay, this is from Kevin over here on Crowdcast. What's an adaptation of a comic that you think really misses everything about the original for good or ill? Mm. Hmm. Adaptation of a comic that really misses it. I'll just throw out Inhumans. I was thinking about that the other day on TV. I had sort of put that out of my memory. And the thing about Inhumans, if anybody heard that it was terrible and never checked it out, the thing that blew my mind about it is they, the concept of the show is what if the Inhumans all hung out on Earth? And it's like, what's this the most boring idea for Inhumans possible? They start off with initially like game of thrones on the moon that's a cool idea and then they're like nope instead uh medusa loses her hair everybody kind of as having problems with their powers and then they all go to earth it's like why are you overcomplicating this yeah they live on the moon that is cool go there like yes not the least of which it looked terrible like i the other thing that i was remembering was they made this big thing of it's the first marvel tv show being shown in imax and it looked terrible in IMAX. It looked even worse than it did on TV. So bad decisions all over the place. Pete? Agree. Nothing else. There's no other adaptations. Well, I mean, you know, Transformers, uh, it's not, you know, it was, a, I don't know if it was a comic book first, but it was a cartoon first. It was a toy first, then a cartoon. But, uh, you know, that first was it was a real thing with real space robots. Then, right. yeah, yeah, then it yeah. was a toy. Yeah, at first it was reality. Then they turned into a toy. Um, yeah, that's just, um, I don't know. I mean, 
There's been stuff that's been like heartbreaking or disappointing, but as far as not the, to the source material, that's the first thing that kind of like makes me think that was a, a, a ripoff. Yeah. Um, cool. Good question. Kevin, uh, this is from Jolene. What do you think uh, that the MCU has seemed to abandon the idea of secret identities for the most part, like in a world where magic gods and interdimensional travel exist? Is it really beyond belief that some heroes are just able to keep their real names secret? I think, just to throw it out there, and this is only because I uh, I watched the original Tobey Maguire Spider-Man the other day and was kind of reminded that every Spider-Man movie... He ends up with his mask off or being like, wait, 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 I'm Peter Parker to the point where like the beginning of that movie, which mind you, that movie is great. But the beginning of that movie, he goes to a wrestling match, signs up under his own name, Peter Parker, to win it, takes off his mask to several people and is introduced to Spider-Man. And then somehow immediately after that, when a guy shows up in a very similar costume calling himself Spider-Man, nobody knows who he is. So... To me, that sort of thing, like, that's wild, that's ridiculous, but all of these movies have made it so that the hero can take off their mask a lot because you want to see the star of the movie. And when they're doing action sequences, they put on their mask so that you can have the stuntman or CGI jumping around and doing stuff. So ultimately, I think that has become part of the way superhero movies do things, so it's easier to just... Take off Spider-Man's mask, take off Iron Man's mask, take off whoever's mask so that they are an actor and they can act and they can emote with their faces. And that's kind of what it's become. Pete? I mean, I hear what you're saying and I feel like it's definitely, uh, you know, I, I personally don't, I don't watch a movie and be like, man, I wish I could see Toby Maguire's face more. You know what I mean? Like, I don't care if fucking Robert Downey Jr. never flips up his thing. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I, or if I, he flips I, up his thing and he has no face under there. Yeah, yeah. It up. could just be old, uh, old, you know, the question. Uh, but I just think it's like, you know, there is that thing of like, uh, um, you know, the actor wants to kind of be able to emote and it gets tiresome with the mask. But I, I just think that like, yeah, you know, it can, it can you know, uh, half a dozen one way or the other. But I, I just think that like what I would really appreciate is regardless of whose face or whether it's a stunt double or whatever, we're just getting sick fight sequences and kind of like uh, uh, nice moments with the character. So I think ultimately the secret identities thing, if it's important to the character, you got to do it. Like clearly, it, regardless of how they actually execute it, it is important to Spider-Man to the point that in the last movie, we had that huge cliffhanger in the post credits where his identity was revealed to the entire world. And that's the entire crux of the plot of the third movie. I think it's important to him because he has people, he's down on the ground, he's in high school, there are people he wants to protect. Captain America, there's no reason for him to have a secret identity. Iron Man, kind of the same thing. Um, and that's been a point of the movies. Like the Iron Man movies, I think it played with that really well, where Tony Stark is an aggressive jerk who's like, here's my address, come and find me Mandarin. And then the Mandarin blows up his house and he pays for that, you know? So I do think there's consequences for it uh, that they have dealt with, but I also think it's okay to kind of blast past that. You don't need. Yeah, it's a classic, you know, like Clark Kent, uh, Superman thing. Glasses. You know what I mean? We're 
we're just going to kind of not pay attention to that because we want to enjoy the other stuff, you know. Exactly. You don't want to th- exactly. you don't want to think about that too hard because it it's should kind be of very like, obvious who's Batman. It's kind of like the killing debate on TV shows where it's like should we You mean like you should kill if you're going to kill you should kill like a couple people because if you're you know you might as well you know go all the way is that what you're saying is that the yeah yeah debate? should you kill a couple of people or a lot of people just one or if you're doing it no the whole thing about particularly on superhero tv shows are like are you going to cross the line are you going to kill a man what are you going to oh, do right. we've seen that one billion times i don't need to see it on tv shows it's been covered like it's fine we're good there and it's sort of the same thing with secret identities where it is an interesting concept but it has been covered already we have dealt with that in multiple shows and movies and everything as well as all of the comic books so unless you could find an original riff on it i'd rather you just not talk about the secret identity or have that's the why character not have a secret identity that's why I've been looking forward to this new Batman because the new take is it is we the audience are the pearls and we're falling apart and breaking mm-hmm. onto the alley floor. You know what I mean? Well, and also instead of saying I'm Batman, he says I'm Bruce Wayne. By the way, <laughs> by the way. just you know. Mm. All right, good question. Let's go over to YouTube. This is from Nelson Martinez. I've been obsessed with Yellow Jackets. Alex, what do you look forward to happening in the show? And how much have you seen? Pete, have you checked it out yet? Pete, have you watched Yellow Jackets on Showtime? Uh, Not a big fan of bees and hornets, to tell you the truth. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, it's a live hive. Hashtag live hive. And it's just a hive of Yellow Jackets. No, it's a hive mind mentality fantastic show everybody should be watching yellow jackets on showtime it is about a girls soccer team that crashes in the middle of the canadian wilderness their plane crashes and then don't tell me they have to eat the kids to survive some weird things happen that are pretty gory and gross i won't say what they are uh but things get very dark very quickly but you don't get to see everything that happens because it takes place in multiple timelines it also takes place 25 years later when we see some of these kids were rescued are alive um after their ordeal i believe they were in the woods for two years we find out and as adults some of them are played by juliette lewis christina ricci melody linsky a couple of other amazing people uh and somebody is trying to reveal what they did back in the woods and you still don't know exactly what it is even several episodes in but it's great it's like lost it's not of the flies uh awesome it's not a comedy is what you're saying no there is some funny stuff in it that happens sometimes but it's horrific drama the first episode is directed by and one of the executive producers is karen kasama who directed jennifer's body um, among other things, and she does an awesome job with the pilot. I think I've watched the first six episodes by this point. They, I don't remember what they broadcast, to be honest with you, but so good. I've loved every single one of them more and more. The mysteries are weird and disturbing and upsetting. The performances are good. Absolutely one of the best shows on TV right now. Highly recommend it. Whoa. So, so good. You watch let's so go much t- TV, too. That's I watch too much TV, buddy. Uh, let's go yeah, over just... to a question from Crowdcast from Stray Bullet. If you go back to any era of comics, what era would you go back to? Or is keeping continuity moving more fun? Wait, what's the second part of that question? Would you rather just keep moving forward through the continuity of comics? Or is there an era you would rather comics go back to? 
Okay. Yeah, I like uh, where we are now. Um, you know, I like a lot of things when you go back in time. Um, you know, it's not as much fun because they're sexist or more racist or more fucked up. So uh, now it's good. Um, so I'm chilling here. But I do like when they do old-timey riffs that are um, mm-hmm. enjoyable now because they're more updated. Um, but yeah, I think that's a good way to kind of honor the past with, uh, keeping things a little bit more enjoyable for everybody. Yeah, I agree. Like we were actually talking about in the interview with Marie, I think things are always of their time, right? Like they come up for a specific reason and they're reacting to something. The eighties reacting to the seventies, the nineties are reacting to the eighties, so on and so forth. Um, or creators who grew up in a certain way are bringing things back in a different way. That's why you see a lot of riffs on the clone saga, for example, where people are really trying to rejuvenate that storyline because they read it so much in the nineties and it was terrible. And then they're like, you know what? Some of these ideas are actually not so bad. So that sort of thing I think is okay. But to your point, Pete, you got to keep moving forward. I do want to go back to the, what you said there, uh, Marie, one of the best kind of opening uh, reveals the mouthful of noodles. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was hysterical. That's comedy Classic. gold there. Oh, me? What? Camera's on? That was really fun. We got to start doing that on the show. We're going to steal yeah, that yeah. bit. Yeah, Every show we bit. open up just mouthful of noodles. Yeah, yeah. Or, yeah, whatever. It's uh, That was, a, I mean, they that was pretty delicious. good. They, they looked delicious. So, very excited. She was doing it right, man. <laughs> she was doing it right. Doing um, we did have one more question. Uh, that I wanted to bring up that popped up here in the comments on Crowdcast. This is from Brad. Um, now, I'll ask the question, but I'll give some framing for the question. Brad says, what's your favorite George Perez comic? I don't know if everybody heard this news today, uh, but George Perez, and this is awful, awful sad news, uh, he has cancer, uh, and he has said oh, he's no. elected not to take treatment and believes the doctors have told him he has anywhere from six months to a year to live at this point. Uh, it is a harrowing, awful note to read that he put up on Facebook. Uh, but one of the things that was so incredible about what he said is he said, listen, I'm obviously not doing that well. Um, I can't honor commissions that I was going to do at conventions a couple of years from now. So we're going to refund all that money. But I'm also going to really try to make as many appearances as I can, hug as many people as I can and say hello to all of you and sign as many things that I can. Um, before, uh, you know, I go. So really, really hard, awful news to read today. He was so wonderful and so positive about it. But uh, obviously he is, if you don't know who he is and you're listening to this, that's okay. Look him up. George Perez is a absolute legend. Uh, one of the best creators of all time. Even if you don't know his name necessarily, you've seen his drawings that are packed to the gills with superheroes, particularly his DC work. There's yeah. definitely of other things. Um, I, I immediately mean, think of, you know, DC, Justice League, that kind mm-hmm. of like just group uh, uh, stuff, but just a uh, really unbelievable artist. That's a, uh, it's really hard to hear, man. That is really, uh, it's tough. Absolutely awful. I mean, the thing that I would recommend, the first thing that comes to mind to me when I think of George Perez is actually his run on Wonder Woman, which Oh, yeah. It's not necessarily under the radar or anything like that, but I feel like people talk about a lot of other runs of Wonder Woman first before they discuss his. But... A lot, also, a lot of the big like DC events. Mm-hmm. You know, like he was... uh, but wait, just real quick. The one thing Sorry. that I was going to say about his Wonder Woman run is, for me, 
that was kind of my in on Wonder Woman. I read that and fell in love with that in trades because I didn't know anything about Wonder Woman and I knew who George Perez was. And I was just kind of blown away by how foundational everything that he lays in there is in terms of Wonder Woman and uh, Wait, the ties. You didn't know got... who Wonder Woman was, but you knew who No, George no, no. I hadn't was? really read any Wonder Woman comics long term. Oh, okay. All right. So okay. I kind of went back to that and I was like, all right, there's these old Wonder Woman comics. I guess I'll check them out. And they were bowled me over. They're absolutely fantastic. So if you've ever, uh, if you've never checked those out, highly recommend checking those out. Pete, any other recommendations or just Uh, generally everything? Yeah, I would just say uh, find out about them because uh, unbelievable art, really just huge events. uh, It was at the center of and... uh, you know, uh, you know, let's celebrate him while he's still here because uh, just absolutely uh, magic to the comic book world. Absolutely. All right, folks, I think we're going to move on to our next section, which is trivia. And for that, we're oh going boy. to turn over to Pete LePage. All right. This is the part where we get back to you, the lovely audience. It's this opportunity to win 25 free dollars online uh, to midtown comics because if you get 25 bucks you go to a comic book shop get yourself some comics but uh, you know with everything going on and being in different places going uh, online shopping is the way to do it so uh alex do we have are we gonna pick from the audience or do we have a person Uh, no we have a contestant here today his name is brad trechak i think i got that right we'll see but i invited him into the stream and he'll be competing for a $25 gift card today. We'll see if he wins. Do you think this uh, is going to yeah, be the week good. that somebody doesn't win? Hello. Yeah. Hey. Hi there. Can you How hear are me? How you doing? Yes. yes. Love your glow uh, shirt. Okay, just checking. Yeah, great oh, glow you. shirt, dude. Yeah, amazing show. Thank you. Yes, fun I, uh, I under the radar. Show. I'm so sorry it didn't get a fourth season. Yeah, uh, me too. Uh, fun under the radar fact here. Uh, Kimmy Gatewood, who's on Glow, actually did the theme music for comic book club. So when you hear the comic book club theme, wow. that is Kimmy, yeah. one of the beatdown biddies. Yeah. Uh, uh, beatdown okay. biddies, uh, Rebecca Johnson, also the other biddy, uh, who is huge at the pit when we started Alex. Yeah. And I don't know if this is true, but I, I heard a rumor that the reason she got the part on glow was because of doing the comic book club theme. Is that true? Pete? That is not true at all. Oh, okay. No, no. All she's right. taking it oh, easy. Well. <laughs> the the art world is truly a small world. Exactly. Yeah. All, uh, all right, I am going to turn it over to Pete now, Brad, uh, so okay. we can do a little mm-hmm. trivia for you. All right, great. Okay. So, uh, today's trivia is on topical comic news and a small nod to the legend David Gulpalil. R.I.P. All right, so please listen to all three options before making your selection, okay? Here we go. Question number one. In the upcoming Star Wars number 20 comic written by Charles Soule, who is teased on the cover? Is it A, Chewie, B, Luke, or is it C, Reginald Bell Johnson? So it's either A, don't pick it, or it's B, Luke. Is it Luke? It is! Wow. That's right, use the force. All right, here we go. Question number two. According to Newsarama, who is quoted as saying the journey of the Krokoan age is far from over? Is it A, Jordan D. White, B, 
Daniel Warren Johnson or C, Caitlin Clark. So it's either A, if you would like to continue to earn $25, or you could be completely wrong, uh, but also give a shout out to an amazing carnival creator, uh, Daniel Warren Johnson. So uh, I'm going to guess the answer is A. A is correct. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, I don't know how you're feeling about X-Men right now. It's either bad news or horrible news that we're going to still stay on Fuck Island for a while. So, you know, give or take. Here we go. Last one. DC is releasing an 80-page anthology called Tis the Season to be Freezing. One of the stories has Bizarro versus Blank. Is it A, Seasonal Depression, B, Polar Boy, or is it C, Steve Rackman? So it's either A, which I can't believe is true, but it is true, or is it B, Polar Boy? Uh, I'm going to guess A, Seasonal Depression. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to buy the comic just for that to see how Bizarro is going to take down Seasonal Depression, and I hope he can. I mean, is it a personification of Seasonal Depression, or is it just seasonal depression you're gonna have to buy the book oh okay (laughs) no spoilers here Uh, but you can use your 25 dollars gift card from midtown comics to buy that buy that book is the amazing part do you have a guest uh guest to the secret movie that pete was indicating with his third answers by any chance I'm gonna give you I don't even remember what his third answers are. Neither do I, but I'm going to guess based on what Kevin said, it's Crocodile Dundee. That's right. It is the 1986 smash hit Crocodile Dundee. Remembered, of course, for a role by David Globalo. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Are you fucking kidding me? He was a huge part of that movie. All I remember for that movie is Crocodile Dundee and That's Not a Knife, This is a Knife. Uh, Oh, what about I Don't Need a uh, Gun, I Got a Dunk? That was a great line, too. Does David Glapalo say that? No, he's the one that said, hey, Mickey scared the shit out of me. He's the Aborigine guy who is super hilarious. Oh, come on, man. I mean, who are you even? I mean, just do you even remember the movie at all? No, I just said I don't remember the movie. Well, then maybe (laughs) don't don't talk about it then. All right, fair enough. Uh, Brad, thank you so much for coming in. Congratulations on the gift card. Have a great night. Thank you very much. Great to see you. All right. There we go. Now, if you would like to win a gift card, I'm going to drop the link into the chat here. And also, you can check it out on our Twitter feed at Comic Book Live. But new comics are coming out. Pete, what are you looking forward to? What are you looking forward to checking out this week? Oh, man, there is uh, a ton of great talked about. Uh, um, I was also, uh, I'm excited about the new Batman direction. Uh, or I could just leave the show and come back. <laughs> hey! Um, it's interesting, uh, Batman's leaving Gotham, and that's a bold move. So we'll see what happens. Great. I'm looking forward to Made in Korea number six from Image Comics. This is one of my favorite sci-fi books on the stands right now. It's dark. It's interesting. It's got some fascinating things to say about identity. And we're going to be talking about both of those books as well as plenty of other books in our Stack podcast, which rolls out Wednesdays at 9 a.m., both in the Comic Book Club feed and in its own dedicated Stack feed. And folks, that is it for this week's show. 
couple of people we want to thank. We want to thank Marie Nicola from Alt Pop yes. Repeat for coming on. Also, John Lazar from Odd Yards. Yeah. Don't forget to check out his Kickstarter. It's only got a couple of hours left. Next week on the show, we're going to have two more great guests for you here. Jared Belloff is going to be here to talk about Marvelous Verses set up by one of our fine listeners and also Peggy Lee is going to be here. She is a jewelry designer who has done pieces for Riverdale, Titans, Buffy, and many more and she may be giving away a surprise gift to one lucky viewer who comes to the show. What about a co-host? One lucky co-host? Just a listener. Just a listener. Uh, Sorry about that. Well, that's nice for people, you know? It is nice for people. A couple of things we want to plug. Marvel Vision, our Marvel podcast, is recapping Hawkeye every Wednesday. Also, Riverdale After Dark, our Riverdale podcast, is recapping Riverdale oh, right man. after this. I can't this. wait to yell at you about the, the next step. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, thank you for teeing that up with no explanation. But Riverdale After Dark, Tuesday nights at 9 p.m. Patreon.com slash comic book club. Support this show and all the shows we do. iTunes, Android, Spotify, Stitcher, or the app of your choice to subscribe, listen, and follow. Don't forget to leave us a question or review request in the iTunes reviews at Comic Book Live on Twitter, Comic Book Club Live on Instagram, ComicBookClubLive.com for this podcast and many more. Until next time, hashtag Glow Season 4, please. Yeah, take it away, Kimmy Taylor. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.